Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. There go the house movers. I began this week looking at this text from the lectionary, and I said, oh, this is going to be a great, easy text to preach on. I, this, this one, I don't even have to think about it. And then I started reading it, and I started studying it, and I said, oh, fudge. It's, 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 a, little, it's a little denser than I thought it was. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today is, is a primer on heaven. You know, a primer on heaven, some basic things about heaven. Uh, that the Apostle Paul was trying to talk about in his um, lesson to the church in Corinth. Um, every church, a pastor, I, I've, I've served five churches, and what, what I've learned is every church is like a child. Each church has its own personality. So what do you, what do you think the personality of this church is? Love. Love, good. What else? Mm-hmm. Generosity. Generosity, good, good. Well, the Corinthian church was Paul's problem child. The Corinthian church went out of her way to test the boundaries of the faith uh, and the limits of Paul's patience. And Paul, the ever-vigilant parent, wrote some five or more letters to the churches in, to the church in Corinth, which comprise our, our New Testament books, First and Second Corinthians. Um, they were just a rebellious group. They did things on their own terms in their own ways. So, for example, uh, discrimination took place at the Lord's table during the Lord's Supper, with different sets of food being served to different social classes of people. Then there was this promise that the church made, yeah, we, we hear about the drought going on in Palestine. We are gonna, we're going to step up and we're going to give. We're going to make a pledge to the, the folks in Palestine. And then they don't make good on it. And Paul has to keep reminding them, don't embarrass me by saying you made this pledge and now you're not going to pay it. Then there's the time when the so-called super apostles, they rose up in the church in Corinth and, and they gave Paul fits. The super apostles challenged Paul's authority by teaching a doctrine that was not orthodox or, or orthodox Christianity. One of the teachings that they taught is dealing with our text today. It's about bodily resurrection it's about bodily resurrection now these super teachers who popped up when paul was not there in corinth were hellenists in other words they were greeks and they were trained in platonic and aristotelian logic and they saw reality back then in two ways one you had the earthly fleshy material reality which was impure tainted and not very good but then you had a spiritual reality a godly divine reality that was pure perfect and exceeded anything that we had here and there shall the two meet if you were of this earthly plane you were too dirty icky corrupt to go into the spiritual plane and so they have this division of heaven and those of us on earth now, the problem was is that these super teachers were proclaiming a Christianity 
that was denying a central tenet of our Christian heritage, and that was bodily resurrection. That is, the stuff, the matter of this earth, of this age, of our time, is not acceptable to God. The super teachers, on one hand, would say that um, Jesus was just a man who was a superior man, a great teacher, wonderful moral teacher. He was the ubermensch. He was the, 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 the prototype of the perfect human being. On the other hand, you had those that said God is too pure to become a real human being. God would never become a fleshy person like you and me. So Jesus was really just an apparition or a ghost. The former denies Jesus' humanity, and the latter denies Jesus' divinity. Both of those views are what we would say heretical. They're not Christian. Furthermore, the people of Corinth saw Jesus' resurrection as some kind of soulful, spiritual resurrection. And he shows you and me how to rise morally and spiritually above the fray and the problems of this current life. And And the resurrection was all about his gaining in that moral superiority. Now, they were spiritually majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors there in Corinth. And, well, frankly, Paul had had enough. Paul was tired of these, quote-unquote, super apostles. And we have a little moment here in the Scripture where Paul has a tantrum. He uses a word that's known in rhetorical devices called a diatribe. And a diatribe is where a person raises a question already knowing the answer that he is going to give or she is going to give. It's like a parent talking to a child. What are you doing, Johnny? (laughs) Now, Johnny, Johnny knows all too well what Johnny just did. But the parent is making the point of calling Johnny out. Well, Paul is doing this in his diatribe. He'd had enough. He'd had enough. Paul, when he is going off right here on the Corinthians in his letter, you can imagine his temple getting pulsing, veins coming out. You can see him just... This is how he was feeling. They were messing up a central point of the faith. Listen to the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read selections of uh, verses 35 to 38 and then 42 to 50. Um, Listen to, to Paul's... breakdown but someone will ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come fool what you sow does not come to life unless it dies and as far as what you sow you do not sow the body that is to be but a bare seed perhaps of wheat or some other grain but god gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind a seed of its own body 
So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a physical body, it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And was the man of dust, as was with the man of dust, so were those who are of the dust. And as those of the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image icon of the man of dust, we will also bear the image, the icon of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's the word of the Lord. Now, to call somebody a fool in, in, in ancient times was not a very nice thing to do. It's what we would yell at somebody when they cut us off on I-95 as you're trying to get over to 595. And they cut you off. When you yell a fool to somebody, and Paul does it again in Galatians, in Galatians 3.1, where he says, Galatians, you fools! Actually, what it says is, you stupid Galatians! And that's what Paul is saying here. You stupid Corinthians! Why? Now, why is Paul using this harsh language? Paul knew that if the church didn't get this one point about the faith correct, the church lost its whole meaning and imploded in on itself. Christmas and Easter become nothing. Christmas and Easter, which sets the Christian tradition apart from other faith traditions, is based on the resurrection of Jesus' body. Without that... Everything falls in. Jesus did not metaphorically rise from the dead where he achieved some new enlightenment. Jesus, no, took on the form, a bodily form, and the gospel accounts indicate Jesus had a body, a form, a substance, just like before, but was different. He had a form, a body, that was the same, but different. The New Jerusalem Bible translates verse 44 in a way that kind of captures it better. Um, It says in verse 44, The physical body embodies the soul. The spiritual body embodies the spirit. There's a body involved in both. Now, as we look at this primer on heaven, I want us to make note of some clarifying points. First, The bodily resurrection means that when you and I transcend this life, we will not be Casper the ghost-like apparitions that will float around in the clouds and pop in and out of people's lives like Buffy and the Vampire Slayer. On the contrary, Richard Hayes writes, our spiritual body gives spirit its form, its local habitation. Heaven describes a place. It describes relationship when the Christ follower is in the very presence 
of the Almighty God. Now, what does that mean? Wow, it's bigger than what I can imagine. But secondly, what Paul is trying to tell us, whereas our earthly body is our habitation for our personal soul, our heavenly body is the habitation for God's spirit. And there's a world of difference between the two. They are both embodied. Our soul is brought into the spirit of God. Heaven is also, however, not only a place, heaven is also a time, a time, a moment in time, the moment we are, as Paul writes in Romans 8, 29, conformed to the image of the Son of God. Heaven in this instance is not so much a place, But heaven in this instance is a time where there is a transformation in our likeness into the image of Christ. Something changes in a moment of time. It points to the time when all the redeemed will be reunited in Christ's glory. Like Moses, we will not see God's backside. We will see God face to face. When I moved to Georgia from Florida back in 1996, I moved to Celebration. Um, I was still a Georgian. Go dogs! And it was only when I went to uh, the Osceola County Courthouse and gave them my ID and two utility bills to show that I lived in Kissimmee that I could actually become a Floridian. I was a Georgian, yes. But there was a moment in time when I became a Floridian, and that's when the lady at the, you know, the driver's license plate place took my ID, took my, my bills, my utility bills, and said, you're now a Floridian because your license says so. There was that moment when I got my license and voter ID that I knew I was a bona fide Floridian. The third thing we forget about heaven And this is something we often forget. We tend to think of when we all go to heaven, when the consummation of time comes, God is going to annihilate everything. Well, the reality is Scripture doesn't talk so much of annihilation as Scripture speaks about transforming, recreating the earth and all creation and the redeemed in Jesus. It's a metamorphosis. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1.10 that it is through Christ God is working out a plan in the fullness of time to gather up all things in heaven and earth, not just our souls, but the earth itself. You see, bodies matter to God. This physical existence we call home, Broward County, matters to God. And there is that time coming in heaven when all this will be redeemed. Not destroyed. Recreated in the image and the likeness of heaven. Our our bodies matter to the Lord. 
you ever think about that? Your body matters to the Lord. My body matters to the Lord. Our earth matters to the Lord. Our health matters to the Lord. Our natural resources and how we care for them or not matters to the Lord. How we treat our physical bodies, our neighbors, our environment, my beloved. And these are now acts of personal and corporate discipleship for the care of the creation, this physical stuff that we call home. How we treat our physical bodies is an act of discipleship. How we care for the earth is an act of physical discipleship. Why? Because God is going to redeem the body. God is going to redeem this matter. Friends, bodily resurrection affirms the moral significance of life in our physical bodies. Think about that. Hear that again. Bodily resurrection affirms the moral significance of life in our physical bodies. You see, what we begin here in the right now, at this moment in time, continues on into glory. It's not that we live in an earthly life and then a heavenly disembodied life. No, when we accept Jesus as Christ, Our life gains an eternal dimension that begins now and runs into the future with God. It's not part A and part B. Accepting Christ means a physical and spiritual reboot where we begin the process of transforming who we are, transforming our world into the kingdom and image of God. It's only after we die that we put on the spiritual body. But what we do now makes a difference. My body matters. Your body matters. The homeless man in Coley Hammock Park, his body matters. The young women who were sexually trafficked In Jupiter, Florida this week, their bodies matter. Because bodies matter, Jesus demands that we love one another in willful, intentional, inconvenient ways and missionally address the homeless, missionally address those held in bondage of sexual slavery. Because the world matters, the, the stuff of this world matters to God, Jesus demands that we care for it with willful, intentional, inconvenient ways and missionally care for creation and our resources. It affects discipleship today. Beloved, Christianity affirms a bodily resurrection, a material resurrection what that means, what it looks like. I can only imagine. I have no clue. I sometimes wonder if my physical body will be a few inches taller. My spiritual body will be a little taller, a little leaner. That'd be nice. (laughs) Then I wouldn't have had that girl in college on a blind date 
opened the door when I knocked at her door and laugh at me. He says, you're so short. <laughs> That'd be nice. But it really means that I'm called to live in health right now. Heaven is beyond our imagination, friends. It's both a place in the presence of God and a time when we put on our spiritual bodies with all the saints of the Lord, saints like Birch Willie, who we celebrated this week. What's heaven like? My beloved Smoky Mountains will be untainted and clean and wild. That's what heaven will be like for me. For me, as I imagine heaven, it's a place and a time. It is a place. I'm in a small cabin in the hills of Appalachia up along a mountain holler with a robust creek coming down the side. Hemlock trees are all around. The cabin just has a few rooms in it. Nestled back into the hillside. A wood fire is burning in a stone fireplace. And I'm sitting on a large 12-foot deep porch that looks out down the holler. And I'm sitting in the rocking chair, puffing on my favorite pipe, drinking a piping hot cup of coffee. I'm dry, I'm warm, and I'm listening to the rain on the tin roof. After a person, after a while, a person comes up, and I see in the distance, it's Jesus. And Jesus comes up onto the porch. He takes off his hat and takes off his raincoat, and I have my coffee mug, and I kind of point to the back, into the into the where the the fire is, and Jesus goes in and pours himself a hot draft of coffee. And he comes out, and he pulls the rocker over next to mine, and he just sits. We don't talk. We don't have to. We just rock. We listen to the rain. And in that place, at that moment of time, I am encompassed with the presence of the Christ. And Jesus just lets me soak him in. That's what heaven will be like for me, in my mind. Even maybe more beautiful than that. What will heaven be like for you? What is that place what does that time mean for you? Pray with me. Spirit of the living God, we give you thanks for this day. Utilize us as your people to proclaim your truth. Lord, help us to fully understand what it means to live bodily both in this life and in the life to come. Lord, that we're not some Casper the Friendly Ghosts 
but Lord, that you have embodied us to hold your sweet spirit in ways that we can never imagine. Go with us now, O Christ. Amen.